Good morning, church. It's a blessing for me to be here and talking to all of you. As we have just had um, this opportunity to come and share with Nack about what God has been doing in our lives, I'm just really grateful for this church. Uh, some of you, you know, probably found out by now that me and Betty have been coming here just a few, for a few months, and in that time, we've we've been blessed to call Nack as a part of our family, and um, I'm really grateful for Pastor Jonathan. Like Pastor Jonathan always says, uh, you guys are a loud church, and and we got to experience that love for a season. And I really pray that as we just continue to spend this time in his word, that God will convey his love to you as well. So this morning, um, I wanted to speak about treasure or what we have laid up for ourselves. And this is a key topic, an important topic. I believe this undergirds all of scripture or off this Sermon on the Mount series. Um, so as I'm, as I'm digging deeper into this topic, I want you to stay with me because as we stay the course here about what does treasure mean in the Bible? What does it look like for us as Christians today to store up our treasures in heaven? I just want to say a word of prayer. So we just ask God to um, just speak and open up our hearts to receive uh, what he has to say to us. Father God, thank you, Lord, for this time. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. God, we just pray that you continue to speak to us. That you open up our eyes to see you. You open up our ears to hear from you. That you open up our minds to understand what it is that you're trying to communicate to us. Lord, I pray that you be with my tongue, you be with my lips, you be with the words that I speak. And uh, I pray that God, that the Holy Spirit, that you move and work effectively in the hearts of the people who are hearing this. We love you, Father. Teach us to love you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I was reading up some statistics about advertising. Um, and in 2009, uh, 2019, my bad. 2019, Canada spent about 11.9 billion US dollars on advertising, on advertising campaigns. And in US, uh, in America, they spent over 280 billion US dollars on advertising. As this is a multi-billion industry where people are targeted uh, or where People are being targeted by different companies and organizations to attract them to come and purchase something. If you're a target audience, and oftentimes when you're, when you're on Instagram or Facebook or on whatever social media you use, if you keep scrolling, you'll find that there are um, ads that are tailored to you. Something that you searched on Google, if you searched for cars, often cars are probably going to pop up. If you search for washing machines or dishes, I'm not sure what you would search for, but whatever it is, it's funny how there's an algorithm to figure what your tastes are like and what you want, and they show the ads that are catered for you. Now, I think of the Bible, and I think of Jesus presenting the Sermon on the Mount, sort of like an ad for what it is to be a disciple, for what it is to be a follower of Jesus. 
because just as we start this sermon series, as we look into the Sermon of the Mount, uh, just in the first two verses, you can see that there's a crowd that's following Jesus. There's a crowd that's listening in on the conversation, but the intended hearers are the disciples of Jesus. So Jesus is not communicating this to the world at large, but rather to his disciples and the people are listening in on this conversation. So when we hear this word, blessed are you, he's talking to the disciples, blessed are you. Now, back in the time, and know that you already know this, that, you know, in the time, in the Jewish time, the, the concept before, before Jesus came was that uh, when the Messiah comes, he's going to bring back glory. He's going to bring back prosperity. He's going to usher in an age of peace where the people of Israel will no longer be enslaved or uh, feel oppressed again. And that's something that they have, they have trailed through the Old Testament. They believe that the Messiah, when he comes, will be this ruler king who will restore the glory of the Lord in Israel and set for himself a kingdom that's eternal and everlasting through the Davidic covenant. So when the disciples are following Jesus and when they expect him to be the Messiah, there's a sort of expectation that Jesus is going to set up a kingdom on this earth, a kingdom of God, a kingdom of a kingdom that is not like any other kingdom that came before on this earth. It's a kingdom to beat all kingdoms. It's going to be the kingdom of the king of kings. And now in Matthew's gospel, this kingdom keeps featuring again and again. It talks about what does it be to be this kingdom, uh, to be part of this kingdom. And so Jesus ushers in or brings his disciples to understand what does it mean to be a part of this kingdom of God. For example, let's say that I want more people to come to my brand of church. I want to make sure that I uh, put the best features of the church in front. I want to make sure my greeting team, my usher team is uh, always smiling, always happy. It's greeting people is genuine, authentic, and very warm and welcoming. I want the worship team to be genuine and authentic in their worship. I want them to... Uh, to do well, but above all, be a place where people are invited to praise and be themselves. Uh, I want the elders to, you know, reach out and uh, mingle with people. I want my church body to be warm and welcoming and greeting everyone. And I would put these characters, we are a warm church, we're a small church, we love you, you're welcome here. Those are the things that I would want to put in front to bring people to the church. I want them to know the good things that they're going to get. What is the benefit in this? And this is often how ads run or the world operates. What's in it for me? What do I get out of this? And so when we look at this, Jesus is talking blessed. And then all of them just sort of lean in because they're like, I want to be blessed. But then what Jesus says it's not what they're expecting. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the weak. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure. Blessed are you if you're persecuted. 
Blessed are you if you're reviled or insulted. Wait, what Jesus? What do you mean that I'm blessed if I mourn? What do you mean I'm blessed if I'm persecuted or insulted? What do you mean I'm blessed if I'm poor? And this is the kingdom of God. It's an upside down kingdom. It doesn't operate the way that we expect the kingdoms of the earth to operate. Now, if I was a disciple in the crowd and I was hearing what Jesus was saying about this kingdom, I don't think I would want a part of it. Would you? Would you want to be poor? Would you want to be considered weak? Would you want to be considered persecuted, reviled? That doesn't sound attractive. That doesn't sound appealing to me. But then Jesus sort of ends the Beatitudes, that first part of it, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 12. This is how it says. It says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. And throughout this series, the word reward keeps popping up. In fact, all through the Gospels, the word reward keeps popping up. Now, I want to tell you a story about myself, my faith walk. A few years ago, I went through a faith crisis, a moment where I didn't feel like God was with me. I felt that God was a social construct, um, a construct me to make sense of the world. And I felt that the more I looked into Christianity and the more I looked into world religions, that this is just not real, that somehow this is just a system for people that's put in place for people to understand and make sense of the world. And when things go bad, they can just say, oh, well, there's going to be justice because there's a higher power that's going to send justice into the world. Or, you know, if something bad happens to me, I can say God will punish that person. And I felt like it was just a moral system just to make yourself feel good. And I walked away from the faith completely. I grew up as a strong Christian, but I walked away from my faith completely. And... I looked down on Christians because they had this concept of a reward system. The concept that you, that all the good things that you do over here, if nobody recognizes it, it's okay because God has a reward for you in heaven. And that made me hate Christians because I felt they were not genuine. That they were not being nice because they wanted to be nice. They, they were trying to be nice because they wanted to uh, bribe their way into heaven with good deeds. And that's how I saw Christianity. Thankfully, that's not the case anymore. God came and changed my life and transformed my life around and showed me what it means to be his true disciple. And then as I reflected back on my thoughts on how I questioned everything, I was like, well, aren't we all 
trying to earn rewards? Aren't we all trying to live for something? Don't we all have a purpose in life? I often like to ask my friends this question, whether they're in the faith or not. I ask them, if you were to leave the earth, what is the one thing that you want to be known for? What is, what is the one achievement that you want to leave back or legacy you want to leave back and you want to say, that's the guy who did this? Is it, you know, he was in the Fortune 500 or he uh, managed to start up a business on his own or uh, he, you know, uh, became a star on YouTube or on social media uh, because that's what the kids these days want. You know, like... Uh, they want to be stars. They want to do this. There's this achievement. They want to make their mark in this world. And then, you know, often, sometimes when I ask, you know, just general people, uh, even, even myself, if I were to ask that question to myself, I want to be known for having a good family. Uh, you know, that's something that I've told my friends. I want my gravestone sort of, I know it sounds sort of morbid, but I want my gravestone to say he was a good husband and he was a good father and a good friend. Like that would make me happy. If, if that's all that people have to say about me, I feel like my legacy would be made. And that's the sort of reward that I want to live for. That's the legacy I want to leave behind. That's the treasure I'm storing up. And all of us have some sort of thing that we are running towards, a goal that maybe even we are not conscious of that we're running towards. We want to be accepted by people. Uh, we want to make money. We want to set up wealth for our kids, maybe. Or we want to retire well. Whatever it is, we have these goals or these treasures or these rewards that we live for on this earth. And that made me look back and go into the system of what does Jesus mean by reward? Because when I look at this passage specifically, None of the things that Jesus says about being blessed sounds like a reward. It doesn't sound to me that being persecuted is a reward. It doesn't sound appealing to me that mourning is a reward or even as a blessing. So why does Jesus say rejoice and be glad? Because your reward in heaven is great. And on and on, this, we, as we progress to the Sermon of the Mount, We've been looking at these passages, talking about anger, talking about lust, talking about denying ourselves, talking about uh, loving our enemies, talking about not being a hypocrite. And as we were looking over the last few weeks, we were looking at prayer and the importance of prayer in our life. It's sort of the middle that sort of places this whole sermon around. It's just come to the Lord in prayer and teach us to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then soon after the prayer, we go into last week's topic. We're talking about fasting. And just like Pastor Jonathan said last week or last Sunday, that fasting is about intimacy it's about denying ourselves for a greater cause. It's not about getting skinny. It's not about trying to force God's hand into something. 
is trying to be intimate with God. It's trying to show that you're repentant, but at the heart of it, it is you're denying yourself a pleasure. You're denying yourself something that you enjoy. And we we talked about last week, you can do um, a Daniel fast. You could do a social media fast. You could do a complete fast of all foods. You can do fasts of TV or social media. Whatever it is that you're fasting from, at the core of it, you're denying yourself something that you like. If you don't like watching TV, doing a TV fast makes no sense, right? If you don't watch TV already, (laughs) there's no sense in fasting. But this whole concept of fasting goes into this next passage that we're going to look at about treasures, about rewards. And Jesus's take on rewards is very different. And it's so important to take a good look at this because this is what's going to be the belt that ties the whole Sermon Sermon on the Mount together. So I'm at Gospel of Matthew chapter 6 verse 19. It reads like this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, so far, when we've been looking into the series, we've been questioning this idea, what if Jesus was serious? And I got to admit that um, previous to starting the series in NAC, I thought that the Sermon on the Mount was pretty much an ideal that Jesus was sort of preaching um, that is unattainable. That I felt that God... Jesus was raising the bar so that everyone will know that they need grace. That's how I interpreted the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm very grateful for the series because it challenged me on my own views on how I interpreted scripture. What if Jesus was serious about really loving our enemies? What if Jesus was serious about not getting angry and calling our neighbor or our brother or our sister, a fool or baka. What if Jesus was serious about the things that we read? I think the question is, what's in it for me? Why are you calling me to do this? What is my reward? You know, a few years ago, I used to watch this uh, video and it keeps popping up from time to time. It's called the marshmallow test and maybe some of you have watched it. It's like often a mother or a father, a parent in the room, uh, leaves a marshmallow or a cookie or some sort of sweet chocolate or candy uh, on the table in front of a child and says, don't eat this and I'll be back. And if you don't eat it, I'll give you another one. And when... Uh, The parent goes, the child's looking at it, playing around with it, teasing it, sniffing it, smelling it. Some of them munching on it, licking it. Some of them manage to, don't even wait. As soon as the parent walks out the door, it's gone. 
And it's hilarious to see that, you know, the kids, some of them have no restraint. Some of them have a lot of restraint. And, um, uh, and I've often thought about this as, let's not think about marshmallows. Let's think about what is our reward. Whatever it is that we want to get, is it success? Is it financial security? Is it job security? Is it meaning and purpose in life? Is it accomplishment? Is it accolades? Is it degrees? Is it a great family? Imagine whatever reward that you're running yourself to right now, what's on your mind, if that's being placed before you. Would you be able to wait or even deny yourself and fast from it? knowing that God's promising a greater reward? Would you lay down your rights to claiming those benefits so that you can get better rewards later? Let me put it a different way. Imagine heaven is a place where this reward that you have looked up to you and wanting it and you've been desiring it, a golden house or a mansion or um, meeting your loved ones or uh, asking all the questions that boggled your mind since you were a child and you finally get all the answers you want. Whatever it is that you've been looking for, if you get it, but God's not in the picture, would you be happy? Would you be satisfied? Because a part of denying ourselves follows up with taking up the cross and following Jesus. In Matthew chapter 19, there's this story that we see about a rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and says that he's kept the Ten Commandments. He's denied himself of the pleasure of doing whatever his heart desired. He kept the letter of the law. And in a way, you could say he took up the cross. But when Jesus said, you still lack one thing. Go give your possessions to the poor and come and follow me. It was his giving his possessions that was his cross. And he wasn't ready to follow Jesus. In Matthew chapter 5, was, I believe it's 48. It says, therefore you ought to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And I've often struggled with this verse. How can I be perfect? Jonathan said, it's not about works. And we as a church, we don't believe in works and we're saved by grace and nothing in and of ourselves is able to save us. It's totally a work of God. And I agree. But then why does Jesus say, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect? That's the verse that often stumped me and made me feel like it's unattainable. As humans, every desire of mine is against self-denial. Every desire of mine wants me to get my reward right now. 
And that's especially true of this generation, this culture, the world that we live in. Just as we heard last week, we just want to indulge ourselves. We don't want to restrict ourselves. We want to flourish. We want to succeed. And we want to be good at everything that we do. We don't want to deny yourself. If one of our friends, if, we, if I heard a friend was denying himself or herself from something good in their life, I'd be like, no, follow after what your heart desires. That's what I would tell my friends. And that's what the world says to us today. What does your heart desire? What is your reward that you're running towards? Run after it. Don't let anything get in the way. Don't let anything hold you back. If anything is holding you back, it's not worth it. Cut it off. That's what the culture teaches us. But Jesus, on the other hand, flips it around and says, where your treasure is, your heart is also. Don't store up rewards on this earth. Because every accolade, everything that you can get on earth will fade away. All the riches that you gain, all the fame that you can earn, or the uh, degrees that you can get, and even your family relationships, they're not going to, they're going to end once you die. Let me, let me put it this way. Like I said earlier, my heart's desire is to be a great husband. And my, I take pride in my identity that I'm a good husband and I love my wife and I want to care for my wife. If I fail Betty or I do something where I'm not proud of, I feel like my whole identity as a good husband is lost. God forbid, but imagine today God calls Betty home and Betty's no more. I've lost my identity. I've lost my purpose. I've lost my meaning. Because now what do I live for? Jesus wants us to find our identity in something that is greater than ourselves, in something that is imperishable, something that is eternal. And the only thing that is eternal that's worth fixing our eyes on is Jesus. True fulfillment, true joy, true happiness is attainable only in Jesus. Everything else is an imitation. Everything else is superficial. Everything else is fleeting. And this is why Jesus says, when you store your rewards on earth, it will perish. But if you store your rewards in heaven, it is eternal. You see, when Pastor Jonathan a few weeks ago, a few Sundays ago was talking about um, hypocrisy or uh, you know, looking at the mirror, if you remember that one. And he put on a mask and he said, we, we put on this mask and we act like we are this person or we are that person. And we try to act like we're somebody else. And part of what he was saying was talking about the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were fasting on 
Monday and Thursday, was it? Right, Jonathan, I think? And the reason why they were doing it is because that's when people would crowd in the marketplace and they wanted people to see that they were fasting. And Jesus says this, they already got their reward on this earth. And we looked even at prayer. The people who pray in public and says, oh, look at me, I pray. But Jesus says, go into your secret room in your prayer closet where nobody else can see you and pray to your father in heaven who will reward you. Another thing about reward that's come up in this series is talking about if you do a good thing, don't let your right hand know what your left hand does or it's the other way around. I don't know. But the Bible says that if we are running after rewards on this earth, running after rewards that we want to achieve for accomplishments, for a name on the wall, for a plaque on the wall, for a wing named after us, for achievements that other people can recognize, a reward here, we have got it. And somehow it disqualifies the reward for us in heaven. Think about this. What are we doing today that might disqualify us from our rewards in heaven? I want to end with just a few more verses in the passage. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth or mammon. And then I just want to read one more, pas- one more verse from this chapter. And it goes from verse 33. And it's a verse that we all know well. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What is this mammon? It doesn't, oftentimes the word mammon is associated with wealth or greed. But it's not just those. It can be possessions. It can be things that we own. In Matthew chapter um, 10, verses 37 to 39, Jesus says, deny yourself, take up the cross and follow me. It's also found in Luke chapter 9. But in Matthew chapter 10, it's interesting because Jesus says, if you love your wife or your husband or your children, Actually, no, that's wrong. Jesus says, unless you hate your wife, unless you hate your husband, unless you hate your children, you're not worthy to follow me. Now we know that Jesus is not saying that you got to hate your wife or you hate your kids. Jesus is saying that our love for God should be so much greater than our love for for anything else on this earth. And that is particularly challenging for me. And this is what I want to leave you with. We often say that we put God first in our life and he's the most important thing that we live for, that we want to earn, that we, that we live our lives for Jesus. 
And, and we truly believe that. As a Christian, we truly believe it. And I believe all of us, if we're genuine Christians, we truly believe we want to live for Christ and we want to die for him and we want to put him first in our life. But I want this exercise. I want you to think of this exercise. What is the most important thing to you? And do you believe that God is about that for you? If you switched roles and made God second place, how different will your life be? For example, for me, my identity is I want to be a great husband. I want to be a great father. I don't have kids yet, but uh, that's my identity. I want to be known for that. That's my legacy. But if I were to put God second place right now, how would my life change from what it is right now? Would it change at all? And if it doesn't change, wasn't God in second place all this while? That means we've been running for our earthly reward and we've missed out on running after the kingdom, seeking after God's kingdom and his righteousness. I don't mean to speak judgment or criticism or condemnation to you. I'm in no way any better. I'm in as much need of grace. I don't even feel qualified to speak up here. Because I'm still running and I'm still struggling to put God first. Even though I want him to be there. I still struggle to put him there. I want to end my words here and say, God doesn't owe us anything. God doesn't owe us rewards. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. If he said every knee should bow down, every knee should bow down. He has the right to do whatever he wants. But it boggles me that even though he has that right, he denies himself of that right and invites us to experience reward with him. The Bible says that he allowed us while we were still enemies, enemies to the cross. He did not hold back his own son from us, but gave everything for us so that we could come back to a place of walking in relationship and love with him. Don't we owe it to God? And yet he doesn't demand it of us. He invites us and says, blessed. Blessed are you. We cannot serve mammon and God. But mammon just doesn't always mean wealth. It can be good things like our family, our possessions, our accolades, our degrees, our business, our job, our career, our our safety net, our security. And it's not just wealth. Maybe you've been living as a rich ruler. You've been living the life of self-denial. But have you taken up the cross? Because that's what the Sermon on the Mount is on. Showing us how we can take up the cross. And let us follow him has loved us so freely. I'll just say a word of prayer 
We'll move to a time of worship. God, there's a song that says, you turn our morning into dancing. You turn our graves into gardens. You turn our ashes into beauty because you're the only one who can. For there's nothing that is better than you. There's nothing that is better than you. God, but oftentimes we say this with our mouths and we believe it honestly with our hearts that we have put you first. Yet our lives don't often show that, doesn't mimic it. We don't exercise it or live that way. I'm, I'm guilty of that, God. But Lord, I believe you're speaking to me and everyone who's hearing my voice today to come back to our first love, to deny ourselves, to take up the cross and follow you. God, we pray that we can put away the marshmallows and the rewards and the superficial stuff, the imitation stuff that the world or the enemy has to offer us because they all pale in comparison to the glory that is to be revealed in us. We want what you have. We want to store rewards on heaven, not on earth. And we give our lives to you to bring you glory. Thank you for loving us so much and giving us rewards, God. We are not worthy to receive any rewards after nailing you to the cross after dumping our sin on you, after causing you pain and agony and being rebellious towards your rulership in our lives. And you you invite us to come and be crowned in righteousness along with you. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Teach us to love you more and make us more intimate with you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen.